Episode 138 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, COB. It's me, Teddy Flower. And today we're joined by Alexander Ryan. Or oh, the full name. The full name for the start. We'll go with Ali after this. Yeah, yeah. formalities first. It's, it's very formal this then, isn't it? Yeah. I like it for uh, like a professional intro because my mum gave me a gorgeous name and I never use it. So if something's in writing or it's an introduction, it's Alexandra. Why don't you go by Alex? They never called me that. Like, they mm-hmm. just called me Ali. I think Alexander was my name for two hours. And then my parents were like, God, she's too small to have a long name. So they just started calling me Ali. And that was it. And now I think Alex wouldn't suit me. It's sort of a bitchy name or something. Is it? I think so. I think it's a Is bit Ali bitchy. not sure of Alison? Yeah. A lot of people mistakenly call me Alison. This is also why I introduced myself. Yeah. Alexander. <laughs> oh, Alison Ryan. Episode, yeah. Ali, Alexander, Alison Ryan. Yeah. 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 Right. Calvin. We're at that announcing two more live shows. Yeah, so we're doing two more live shows on the 23rd and the 24th of November in the National Stadium. Same venue, back to back, Thursday Friday. Friday. yeah. Tickets are on sale now. Adi, yeah, Thursday. What time on Thursday? Thursday 9 o'clock. This yeah. episode will be out Thursday 5 o'clock, so Terrence is rounding the whole boat. Yeah, They're probably that. sold out by now, lads. Oh, very lucky. <laughs> look. Coach fucking wood. Yeah, well, they're two decent days anyway. Yeah. You know I mean, we did a Wednesday and a Thursday in June. So a Thursday and a Friday. Right, for the yeah. weekend. Hopefully, and touch, touch wood. Yeah. And electric picnic as well. Yeah, so we'll be in electric picnic Saturday at 5 o'clock at the Our Hair stage in the minefield section or something like that I don't know wherever the podcast is at is going to be that's where we're going to and be and we have a little secret for you as yeah. well and we're going to be smoking vapes just letting everyone know are we yeah you're not allowed to bring vapes down are you, are you not did you see this no do you know the single use vapes oh they yeah to them, yeah. stop uh, littering because they're so bad for the environment yeah. they're, they're all plastic yeah no. what single use vapes what do you Them mean vapes just once they're gone they're gone you the can't, you you throw can't them recharge in, them you can't refill them throw away ones yeah. not, the, not the big dog no yeah they'll bring the big huge Blow horn. Good luck to anyone things. trying to police that. There's yeah. No, like, well, how are they going to police that? They're going to confiscate search. them. Mm. Search and confiscate I don't think vapes. they're going to. Can you search on vapes? There's a lot of other things they get in GP. So, like, I That's don't know. That's what I mean. I'm shocked if they don't catch a few vapes. Yeah, like, like the worst thing you're going to catch is a vape. Like. Yeah. I think they're just trying to deter people, in fairness. Yeah. yeah. Good they luck. also freak me out. Like, I honestly think cigarette smoking is probably safer than vapes. 100%. Like, the vape really, really scares me. So, but we won't know for years to come, isn't it? I don't know. There's enough going. Like, the yeah, vaping's out a things. long time now. Vaping's yeah. out for 10 years. A few people have is got it? really sick from it. Yeah. And vaping. Yeah. A lot of people get sick from smoking as well, believe it or not. You know, well, I, well, I'm sorry. I advocate for no smoking yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, but at yeah. least you kind of know what's in a cigarette. No one really knows. You're just smoking a battery with a vape. Yeah. It's literally you're smoking an electrical thing. With a coil yeah, around sure, But look, yeah, there's tar and tobacco and cigarettes. So don't smoke anything, guys. Mm, Stay yeah. in school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so the secret is we're going to be smoking vapes on the stage. Yeah, and um, we have a big, big surprise. Yeah. So show up five o'clock Saturday EP see us then. Yeah, Ali, what's the story? What is the story? How are There's you? So many stories. Mm. Are you going to EP? I'm actually not. I'm going to Portugal tomorrow for my holidays. Uh, well, for yeah. some. some life. Yeah, well, for some. I know. I've done enough EPs. Like I have had the craziest career. So like I've been in show business for about twelve years now. So I've been to everything: Oscars, mm. New York Fashion Week, anything you can think of. So I don't really go too much anymore. I've kind of been like, oh, I've done that. Yeah. I find happiness in other things now. Events and gigs wouldn't be a big rush for me because I've done them in the most amazing way you could ever imagine. Yeah. Being in the artist area, I've been around all the bands, like all that stuff. So I feel over it a little bit. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? 
There's a lot of them. Tom Cruise, Mark Wahlberg, Steven Spielberg, who's my favourite interview I've ever done. Uh, George Clooney, Julia Roberts. I've pretty much met them all. The only person I haven't met that I'd love to is Leonardo DiCaprio. But I haven't, see, I don't really do that stuff anymore. So like, but when I started Goss, that's what I did all the time. I still go to the Oscar party. So like I go to Elton John's Oscar party, I go to JJ Abrams Oscar party. That's like the Irish focused one. So I see people at that. But I've been to like the Cannes Film Festival and stuff. You just get into, like I broke the story about Pamela Anderson being sexually assaulted as a child. I don't know if you remember that story, but she brought me to her Cannes Film Festival party to tell me about it. Like the stories I have are just you wouldn't even believe them. It makes no sense. But that's just when I was kind of top of my game as a showbiz journalist. I was just everywhere, anywhere, made a name for myself quickly. Really, really nice to people, though. Like, I've never in my entire career, like, fucked someone over. Don't ever. Yeah. Ever. Tell you, Lil, you're rep quick, What's though, the point? It? Especially, in, this is what I didn't like about newspapers and why I went online myself. In the newspaper game, you have to sell the paper to mm, make yeah. money. So people's lives were getting a bit fucked around. Didn't matter as much. It's not like that online. Mm. Clicks are great and all that, but it doesn't really work that way in terms of income it's more about editorial campaigns sponsorships and stuff so and also it just didn't I couldn't sleep at night ever feeling like I was responsible for someone being in bits so yeah I, I kind of got known like that like internationally so like some of the people I'd count as friends are like massively big but I would never even admit who they are <laughs> Yeah, tell you off air. FaceTime, Tom Cruise down. But yeah, the, the interesting thing about celebrities though that I always like want to tell people is that they are literally more, if not the same in terms of fragility as we are. Like we all think that people don't care when they're huge. And I mean like some of the most famous people in the world. They're the most nervous, like their self-esteem is really low. They all just want to be loved. They care about what everybody thinks about them. So when you kind of around them more and more, you're just like, oh, it's just whoever. Like, you know, mm. the Tom Cruise one was one of my first really, really big ones. And I was a bit like, oh, my God. And he was like, Alexandra, how are you? He's known for saying your name a couple of times, but it really gets you. You're like, Tom. And then he followed me on Twitter, as did Justin Bieber. I have some really random followers on Twitter. And he's still following you. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's the crack here? Now, what, <laughs> Justin Bieber and all following I don't know why he follows me. I've never met him. But I went to one of his after parties here, but I never met him. So I don't know what that's about. It's kind of random. I know, yeah. And I've never slid into either of their DMs, even though they follow me. I was going to say, you yeah. have to shoot real, a shot there somewhere. Yeah. But I think the kind of key to maintaining friendships with like really big celebrities is that you don't do those things. Mm, like maybe, I had a yeah. really famous actor. I was going to move to LA right before COVID. A really famous, like everyone in the world pretty much knows him, offered to sign my O1 visa application. So that's where you like explain like you're of extraordinary ability to move over, da da da. And I had done a bit of acting here and stuff. So I was going to go over on like a writer's visa and an acting one. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Him. And then I will say, I was going to ask Perez Hilton to do it because we chatted a good bit too. But like, I only would have those relationships because I was sent. And there's things that would have happened with these people that I never, ever told anyone about or never wrote about. I've been around so crazy situations and I would never, like I stopped someone getting thrown out of a bar in LA once, a really famous person. And like they had such a huge argument with the barman. And like if anybody knew that that situation happened, for example, it would have been on TMZ. Yeah. And I never, it's just not in, it's not even a game plan. It's just, that's not the way I'm built as a person. So when I wanted to go into media, my parents were like, I just don't know if this is going to be for you. Like you won't be able to sleep at night. Because you know, in newspapers, they do door knocks. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so, spoke about it. Yeah. yeah, so like your child dies and someone's there the next yeah. morning and it's just their job. Um, and I got asked to do a door knock once when I was working for a newspaper. It was about a celeb breakup and I remember getting there and the photographer's in the car with me and I was like having a panic attack. I was like, I can't do this, I can't do this. And he was like, do you want me to say we knocked and they weren't there? And I was like, yeah. And that was one of the last <laughs> things I did for that paper before I left because I was just like, this is such an invasion of privacy. But a lot of kind of old school newspapers when I would have worked them thought like once you're a celebrity, that's it. Like you've put your name out there so yeah, good luck to you. I don't agree with that now yeah. like that's kind of what you're trained to believe but then when you become friends you really meet people and now like years later I've been in the public eye and now I'm like if that happened to me and things have happened to me like things have been published about me that aren't true and stuff and it gives me such anxiety so like my entire team now because I don't run Goss anymore as in like I don't run the editorial I run the commercial side of it so I have to trust the editorial team but they all treat people the same way and if you were to ask any celebrities in Ireland about Goss like most of them would say to you we're really crap we're nice we're kind like you might come across one or two influences maybe that didn't like that we wrote one or two things but we never go after people we're never at them yeah it's not a bad flex to have now Justin Bieber following you and I know the whole lot. It's I know like... might need to call that in someday <laughs> if I need a favour JP yeah. I remember one day some random followed me on Twitter and I clicked onto a page and it was like mutual followers and I was like Barack Obama follows this person Stop. so I was like who the fuck are was you? it his cousin Henry I've no idea he's an Irish cousin <laughs> no it wasn't an Irish it was, a, it was an oh, American really? woman and I was like, why are you following me? And then I couldn't find her again. I was like, this is the most random. This is the thing that I love because social media is a real love-hate thing for me. Like it's such a scary, dangerous, dark, hateful place. But it's also this place where you can connect with people like that. And you never know when you might need that person or at the time where they might help you share something oh, really important. One, yeah. Even like after I came out with my story about uh, revenge porn, so many random celebrities followed me and like people I really admired. Like I, I, there's actually people I've never even replied to because it was so overwhelming. And I was like, I can't believe they know who I am. Mm, but yeah. like you don't, you wouldn't have had that reach without social. So it's a real catch 22 for me social because it's caused a lot of the problems. But there are some good people out there and networking abilities that you'd never have like years yeah. ago. It yeah. is pretty amazing. So how many times have we like often just through someone in the DM and next one you'd see a share or they'd get onto somebody for us? Yeah. Like remember I sent you the screenshot of the messages that were being sent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so, like, it was Drake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, there was a big name suggested. Yeah. And... We knew someone who knew this person. Yeah. And I texted them and I was like, look, any chance you could give them a show? Yeah. And they said, send me your number. And I was like, the fuck you send? Like, what's that going to do? And with that, they sent back a screenshot and they were like, look, these two lads, I can vouch for them. Amazing. They want you on the podcast. Here's the number. And I was like, I was just fascinated that that person yeah. now knows we exist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Regardless if they come on or not, they know yeah. who we are. And I'm yeah. like, this is mad. And that's the thing about the industry because like people would be like, it's so hard to get into it, da, da, da. But once you're in it, and I'm sure you guys are seeing this now, you're kind of in this click for life. Like you get this trust with people that you mm. just don't. When you're in the industry and you're becoming known or like you're talking with important people, you just kind of become one of them. It's weird. Everyone just starts to be like, oh, and like people vouching for you and vouching for your credibility. Even now, like I'm nine years into Goss now. And even now if someone says, something really nice about Goss I'm like oh my god it's yeah. crazy to me yeah. but like the girls would be like well obviously they follow us they share our stuff but it's still weird to me yeah, still a little girl underneath being like oh my god people are coming to my party yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre so see this whole like your attitude towards the media and the industry and how it works is that what led you to 
making their own then publication really? Yeah, it was a mixture of things. Like I had one show as journalist of the year when I was 22. So I was the youngest to ever win it in the country. There was actually odds against me. Paddy Power did odds and I was the least likely to win. So only one person I knew bet on me and won loads of money. So it was great. So when that happened, that had been my entire career goal. So it happened very quickly as in I was only like two and a half years into the industry and I was like, oh God. And I'm a very ambitious goal oriented person. So I was a bit like, right, what, what am I going to do next? So this was in 2013, 2012. And at the time there was no websites in Ireland that covered showbiz news, like none whatsoever. There was barely websites in Ireland, like even the independent then, they would only publish it like after the paper was published. So there was no real live breaking news content. And when I was thinking about leaving, because I'd won the award, I got offers from like the LA Mail Online were starting for the first time. I literally went over there and met them and they were in a garage in Santa Monica. Like now that's like one of the biggest sites in the world, like the online one. And I went there, I went to London, I worked there for a few weeks on like a secondment with the mail. And I still came back and I was like, no, I need to do something by myself. Like there's room for it here in Ireland. There's enough Irish celebrities. There's enough of an appetite here. And we kind of had lost the celebrity bubble. Like, do you remember the days of like Bono, Michael Fassbender, they'd all be in Lily's. Lily's was gone. The celeb bubble was kind of gone. I was talking to people that are like paparazzi in inverted commas here. And they were like, the industry's kind of over. But I was starting to see influencers. They weren't called that then, but people on Snapchat were starting to get big. And I was like, I think these are going to be the next celebrities. So when I started Goss, it was actually only Irish at the beginning. And the focus was then kind of influencers, VIP people. We were trying to bring them up to VIP level. Sorry. Like we were the first publication to start an Instagram account. Weird things like that that seem so common now. Mm. Everything seemed like this wacky idea at the time. And everybody was a bit like, are you really doing this? Like I left a permanent contract with healthcare and like just to start this by myself, sold my car, had no money, no plan. I didn't even study business in college like I did business for my leave insert so I took the leave insert book out and I was like is this gonna help me so it was a bit naive about it I suppose but yeah to answer your question there was a huge part of me that hated how the industry was run just that a lot of journalists are told to act certain ways and not to really have relationships with people in the public eye and almost look down on them just a little bit now it's not like that now but I definitely felt at the time we were just allowed to rip people's lives apart with stories. And I, I never did that, but I was around that a lot and I didn't like that. And I was like, we can definitely do this in a nice way. Um, so that was kind of the main difference. And I was terrified as well because I was kind of well known at that time as a journalist, but I was like, what if like RT and Virgin and Nikki Byrne and all these celebrities, they don't care anymore because I've just started a new site called Goss. But I remember Nikki Byrne had a show at the time on 2FM and literally a few days after we launched he mentioned us on the show and this is what I'm saying to you about the network Yeah, like when you're good to people they're good back to you and the best celebrities I've ever met and know are the ones that understand that there's a lot of people on the way up Z-listers that are really rude and difficult and think they don't need you kind of thing but the biggest celebrities in the world like even Colin Farrell and stuff he would be like did you get what you needed did you get the line are you happy before he'd go into the premiere of a movie do you know so that's what I respect and that's what I look for and that's the sort of people we write about and we only write about people who are going to be respectful to us too so there's a few blacklisted mm. people <laughs> on Goss I'll tell you that much because I don't like I won't allow any disrespect to my team and stuff like that but mm. see so yeah, I would say we're highly we were highly unusual when we launched there are other sites kind of like us now but they're owned by the likes of the male and big corporate ran by suits. So what we do is so different. We're the only female fully owned media company in Ireland. We're one of the only Irish companies in media left in Ireland. There's only three. 
So like when you break that down, it's a bit bizarre. Yeah. And like, I remember when we started, like I was obviously friends, all the journalists. I literally lost touch with everyone. No one really talked to me ever again because everyone was like, who the fuck do you think you are? Basically, mm. they all were like taking bets of how long I was going to last. There was like a WhatsApp group going around of like, she'll only make it to Christmas. And I remember like maybe two years into the business, a year and a half, I was really struggling. Like, I mean, now Goss is doing really well, but like I literally slept on the floor of the office. I couldn't afford to eat. Like sometimes like clients would be so late in paying and I was still like, no. And I used to always think of that WhatsApp group and I'm like, no, I'm not letting them win. Like I am going to be here next year. And even my own family would be like, because I'd be bawling crying, like I can't afford this. I can barely afford rent. They're like, why are you doing this? And I was like, no, I believe in this. Like this is going to work. So this year at our ninth birthday party, I was like shouting out to all the people who said I'd last one year. Like we're going to be 10 years next May. Like it's crazy. Where does that drive and that vision come from though? Because you're saying like, Mm. like you saw your card and you just wanted to get this up and running like where I would have slept on the streets literally to get it up and running like I was that obsessed which is probably blind passion for it like I literally didn't care no one could have stopped me I don't know I think I have this I had this drive to prove myself and to get approval from people obviously like it comes from that like I was really badly bullied in school when I was growing up I moved to school three times had a terrible time every single time just never got good and I always felt like everybody hated me and I always felt like everybody didn't think I was talented that I was like never going to amount to anything that kind of thing so I think when I started in the area of like journalism like I got my first job when I was in college I went to UL and I got a job in the Limerick Post and I remember from that second onwards I was just like I'm going to make something of myself and I was living in Limerick for college and for secondary school Mm. and I always felt like I was too big for the small town. I was in a little village and it wasn't even in a cocky way. I was just like, I am meant to do something massive. Like I don't want to be sitting around drinking cans in a field. Like I never even did that. Like I was like playing the piano, playing the guitar, going for the X Factor. I did mad stuff when I was younger. I was just like, there's something else. But yeah, there was a constant drive for approval, I think is what it was really. Mm. But also... I wanted to be successful. Like I always knew I wanted to be successful. Like I was working from the age of 13. Mm. Do you know, like I had always had two jobs. I had like three jobs in college. I was working in Spin Southwest and in a newspaper and in O2 while in my final year of college and stuff. Like, and I had a blog. Like I didn't care. I was just like obsessive yeah. about it. It's probably like an addict personality, to be honest, but about work and Most achieving things. Most successful people talking about that kind of thing say they felt they're in them though. Yeah. It's something that they felt that they yeah, knew it's, it's was very, Yeah, it's very hard to explain. Mm. Like even, I remember there was one time I was at home with my family, it was like the week before my birthday and I was driving this free car I'd been given for like two weeks and I was bawling crying at the wheel just like how broke I was, how things weren't working out, clients weren't taking me seriously and I remember my, my mom and my sister just being like, please just walk away from this and I was like, no. So it's hard to explain. I just knew that there was going to be success one day and I could see like male counterparts making so much more money. I could see companies doing a shit job in comparison to what I was doing and like I used to run Goss by myself so seven days a week and the sales and the social and I was like I can do better than everybody else I know I can like I just knew it so it was kind of a drive like that and to be honest with you like Goss really only became properly successful because of well not because of but during COVID so like in terms of the actual site it's always been successful as in like we've always had massive amounts of readers we've always broken stories first like the New York Post Fox News they've credited us with exclusives do you know what I mean like the content's amazing but money wise it's been tough you know we've been up against all the big boys all the time it's really hard to get the massive deals with the big corporations and the excuse was always like they couldn't meet us da 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 and during COVID I was like fuck this I'm just going to be like just jump on a Zoom 
Like you literally cannot tell me that you don't have the time to talk to me. Mm. And that's what happened. We did. So people tried out little campaigns and then everyone was just like, oh my God. So we just got more clients, bigger deals, bigger clients. And that's what completely changed the company. So it really is like, you know, that image of like that guy trying to dig and he's like, oh, I'm going to walk away. And he's about to hit the gold. It was like that for me. I didn't do anything different. I think that's why my family were struggling because they were like, well, how are you going to make this different? And I was like, I know I'm so close. I know it's there. I just, felt it in my did heart not, did you just feel like you weren't getting the recognition that you deserved because you were absolutely doing right? and like it's it's something that still happens which really gets to me like it's I know people listen to me like oh I know she's going to say this but like gender is a huge part of it because like there's male counterparts who are no longer in their business anymore who were taken more seriously than me who were on the cover of newspapers magazines celebrated on the Late Late Show no one's ever even tried that with me like they don't care they don't feel like I'm a serious business person and that's how I felt throughout the years. I have an all-female team. It's called Goss. It sounds like a fluffy little blog, but like anyone who works for me knows we run like a newsroom. Like it's literally like a tight ship. You know, like we go through a legal process. Like even if the girls write about Khloe Kardashian being cheated on, she's getting contacted and so is Tristan Thompson. Like we are literally regimented. So it used to really bother me that we weren't taken seriously. So I'd say in the last three years, a big part of my focus has been making people take us seriously. But that kills me. Like why should I have to Mm. have to make people? And I thought maybe three or four years into Goss people would have, but they honestly didn't. Like they really didn't at all. Mm. And I really struggled with that because like I said, I was sleeping in the office. I was barely able to afford anything and people were still like, oh Goss. I was like, I'm literally giving up my life to like create this business. So I'm very protective over it and I get very ratty if people give out about it online and stuff. I reply sometimes. I know I shouldn't, (laughs) but I'm just like, you don't (laughs) understand like the effort that goes into it. But yeah, I would say we weren't properly accepted and it's taken, we're nine years of business now, it took about six, if not seven years to feel like we were actually finally taken seriously. That's mental to me, mm. that length of time before yeah. you took seriously and before you was uh, as successful as you wanted it to be. Like if we were just taken seriously in year two and year three, fair enough the first year to start up, people would be a bit, you know, questionable over it. My life would have been so different the last couple of years. Like I wouldn't have had to go through the struggles that I did or have such little staff and be thrown out of offices, which has happened and stuff because we couldn't pay the rent. Like all of that happened because the bigger brands and the bigger media agencies, they just didn't want to know. Like, mm. And we were like, we were getting quoted by the Mail Online, Fox News, New York Post, like all this sort of stuff. And people were still like, just didn't matter like at all. So I'm really glad I'm over that hump because that was very difficult, yeah. very difficult to go through. Mentally, it was very, very tough. I seem to do, a lot of things seem to happen to me in life that are just mental torture. But I think because of being bullied and all that stuff, the determination was consistent. I never once was like, maybe I'll walk away from this. I never thought it. We nearly got bought in like 2018 and that deal got published and stuff. So everybody knew about that. That was the closest I came to it. But even at that point I was really like unsure if I wanted to do it or not but it, I had had one of those years where it had been really tough financially so I was so close to doing it and I didn't do it and then literally a few months later we started having one of our best years so like I do believe everything happens mm. for a reason and honestly now people ask me all the time because we're worth so much more what I sell it now and I'm like no this is it for life like I might not be in there every day and be running it but like this I built this up and it's never so it's you never going never ever consider selling no amount of money I don't think so anymore now mm. maybe in like 15 years maybe if I want to retire but right now there's so much more to do like because we're only starting to redo all the last three years we're now opening ourselves up to new things and new possibilities and Again, I will say, and I know I'm going to sound like so up myself, but like we are the best at what we do. Like I have zero question over that. If I thought 
someone could help us do it better and maybe I needed more support, I would think of selling. Because no matter the way you're hesitant to say that, we only spoke about this last mm. week, was it? We were afraid to say that we're good at something. It's a very Irish thing. We're afraid to say we're good at something or we're the mm. best at something. Yeah. And we almost feel like we have to nearly apologise and be like, oh, I'm not up my own ass, but... Yeah, but people will listen to this and be like, who do you think she is? It's just yeah. like an Irish mentality. And it's mad because the reason I was going to move to LA is it's so different there. You could walk into a party and be like, I'm a scientist, I'm a clown, and I'm about to apply for the Nobel Prize. And everyone be like, oh my God, unreal. Yeah, like, yeah. can I introduce you to someone? Can I help you this? Like, there's no weirdness here. It's You try to do one extra thing and people, are like who do you think you are and I genuinely think because of the way we were raised in Ireland I think most of us don't actually follow our dreams I don't think a lot of people would go out of their comfort zone so I think when they see someone doing it especially a girl in particular I feel they just think there's something not right about it and to make themselves feel better it's better to just put people down and like you know the trolling side of things. I mean, we have to get into all that stuff, but like the stuff that goes on here. Like I said, I've traveled everywhere, London, LA, Monaco, Cannes. I've never seen the amount of online bullying in my life compared to Ireland. Mm. Like it is crazy here. Yeah. And it's 99% directed at women and successful women. Yeah. I feel like you're right about the Irish mentality though, because that's mm. what we <laughs> speak about a lot. And But it's even like, I know you're saying it's more directed at women, but we have experience yeah. that we start. No, this, it doesn't surprise like, me. Because you're starting a podcast and you're yeah. not just going to college, getting a job, having mm. a family, buying a house and dying. So when you're not just following that, what we're told quo. to do, yeah. and you go, I'm actually going to leave my job and do a podcast and hope that this takes off. Everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing a podcast most of most of my friends didn't even know what a podcast was I still wouldn't even say I, I'm a podcaster no neither do I neither do I say I do a podcast because like, it's actually much hundreds of hours of content there and behind the scenes yeah. stuff and episode 138 we're on now <laughs> bonus episodes live shows we're doing EP for the second time I know it's time. amazing yeah. And like, I still would like, uh, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a podcast. I'd say I do a podcast. But like, you are a podcaster. <laughs> you know I, mean? I yeah. think as well, what people hate is when someone believes in themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because now I look back on all the childhood stuff. Because at the time, I couldn't understand. Every time I moved to school, I get bullied again. And I was like, I'm literally just breathing air. Like, how is this happening? But I was like in the school play, singing the solos in choir. Like, even at that age, I was ambitious. Like, I wanted to do all these things. I was really confident with boys. Like, I'd come up and chat to anyone. It didn't bother me that like someone was a guy or a girl and now I look back and I'm like that's what it was for the girls that bullied me they just couldn't understand that I was just like oh hey and I was like so chatty and it makes me so sad now like I've done a lot of therapy and like anytime we talk about like my inner child and stuff it's the saddest thing because I literally say that like she's dead like you know like I was so sparkly and happy and positive and it was just literally kicked out of me because I just was made to feel like there was something wrong with me that I wasn't enough that I wasn't liked that I'd never be liked having no friends and being excluded and stuff when you're that kind of age group as well like I self-harmed and everything in school people knew about it and didn't give a shit like it was just I was just made to feel like there was something wrong with me and it's only now looking back that I'm like they actually felt there was something wrong with them and seeing me seem so together it just bothered them so much and maybe they were going through stuff at home but the damage that did to me is like irreparable I would say like the earlier years like it still affects me now 
But in saying that, I don't think I would have this drive without it. So that's yeah, why I do. On, yeah. You just have this constant. It's like, you know, Inception, that movie. Yeah. Where the whole movie is about like you plant an idea. Literally, since I was five years old, the idea is that you are not enough. You're not good enough. You're not going to succeed. So I fight against that every single day that like I have to prove people wrong. So even though it's sad and a bit messed up, I'd say if I'd had a normal childhood, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Mm. I'd just be doing something else. Mm. Still something creative, but I don't think I would have been yeah. driven towards business. You probably have half the cast of Inception in your phone book as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Leo, he's the only one I don't. <laughs> but I know we're at the end of the day, most of that day. What was like your home life like growing up and where, where are you actually from? So I'm from Knock Lyon in Dublin yeah. um, and I lived there till I was 11. And yeah. then my parents moved to Limerick when I was 12, literally bog hole of nowhere in a field. We built a house. So I, I moved from like fifth year in in, sorry, fifth class. Mm. So I had that school, then in secondary school. Um, so I lived in a place called Palace Kenry. <laughs> Anyone listening to me like Boghole Cheers? But it's just, it wasn't my vibe at all. Um, my family adapted to it and like they all still live in the countryside. They don't live in Limerick, but they live in the countryside and they loved it. I felt very much like this isn't enough for me. Like there's something missing. But I was very, very creative. So like I said, I was in like stage school, always did the talent shows, played the piano, played the guitar, wrote the school play. Like that was my happy place always. I was really into writing and stuff like that. So I loved all that. But definitely, I think when you're going through a hard time for being bullied or something bad's going on, living somewhere that has no street lamps, it's just so depressing. You're just in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, there's like howling wind, foxes going around. I just, it wasn't good for my soul, to be honest. And then when I was in third year in secondary school, I started fifth year and just got really badly bullied again by different people. And then my mom took me out and moved me into tutorial. It's like the institute basically. So up until this point, I was like doing really bad in school. I failed junior search science. Like I was barely passing anything. All my teachers were like, move over to pass, move over to pass, move over to pass. But me being so ambitious all the time, I was like, I want to be an honours for everything. Then my parents were like, look, maybe you want to do something different. My mom was always so supportive. She's like, if you want to be a masseuse, if you want to be a hairdresser, I was like, okay, maybe I'll just go, you know, do a course in hairdressing. This isn't for me. So she kind of took one last shot. She's like, let's put her in tutorial. And I literally started getting A's and absolutely everything. So I think it was that point that everyone started to realize how badly bullied I had been. Because what was happening was I was in class and I was just so upset and no one was talking to me. And I was self-harming that I just wasn't present at all. I used to leave class and walk around the school and walk around the hallways, not even be in class. And like none of the teachers, or the principals did anything. So I'm a big advocate on that. My two sisters and their husbands are teachers. So like I'm always talking to them about bullying. So that is why I did really badly. So when I went to tutorial, I was like, oh, I think I'm actually smart. This is bizarre. Like I honestly didn't think that I was. And then I was like, I want to study law. That's what I'm going to do. So journalism wasn't actually on the table at that point. I did love writing and stuff. But I was like, no, I'm getting all these points now. Good to go. And then I pretty much had one of the worst summers of my life. There's been a few, but um, I got diabetes three days before my leaving cert. So it's in hospital. They wanted me to do my leaving cert in hospital, all this sort of stuff. It was like this big panic. And they were like, look, why don't you just do the leaving cert next year? Like, he'll, but again, you know me, I was like, no, I have to do this tomorrow morning. Like, and they're like, you need a week to learn how to self-inject, blah, blah. I was like, no, I'm going this evening. And I'm still known in like the regional hospital in Limerick as the girl who like walked out the night before her leaving cert because I was like, it's fine. I'll, I'll sort it. It's grand. 
But I was really sick still and I probably shouldn't have sat the leaving cert because I just wasn't able to focus. Things were leaving my mind. I couldn't, I was really confused and stuff, which is what happens on the early onset of it. So I think I got like 500 points or 490 in my pre's, but in my actual leaving cert, I got 420. And that year law went to 425. Oh, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, so that happened. Then my like first love broke up with me. Then my parents got separated, right? This all happened the same matter of weeks. It was a really, really shit summer. And I was coming towards the end of the summer. So it was about to be leaving cert time. And my mom was like, don't worry, you're going to get your points. You've literally had the worst summer. Like, there's no way you're not going to get it. Like, you're not going to get it. And I remember going in and like there were steps up to the school and I was walking in steps. And I literally just collapsed crying on the steps. I was like, I just can't understand why terrible things keep happening to me. Like, why? I couldn't understand it. And then my fourth. So one of the things I did really bad in was maths. Keep in mind, my head was really fuzzy. So like, I obviously couldn't add. I didn't even bring in the calculator. I forgot. I was just so confused. I definitely shouldn't have sat it, like, to be honest. I think now they kind of have things where they can delay it for you if you're sick. But back then, they didn't, mm. like... So my other choices were all business related, but you had to get like a certain mark in maths and I didn't. So my fourth choice was media and English and UL. And I remember being sent the prospectus being like, you've been accepted. And I bawled my eyes out. And my mom was like, just take a year. And I was like, no, again, I was like, I have to go to college. Like if I take the year, I'm never gone because I was such a work orientated person. But like the reason I'm saying all this is like, I was like, why are all these horrible things happening? But they happened because the better things were about to happen mm. in my life. Like obviously God or the universe or whoever you believe in was like, she is not fucking listening. Like she's going for law. This is not her path. So they gave me a lifetime illness <laughs> to make sure that didn't happen. And even in the first year of college, I was planning to switch to law. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But then in second year, my dad was like doing a job for someone. He's like a heating specialist. And when he gave him his card and it said NUIJ on it, so the National Union of Irish Journalists. And he turned out to be the editor of the Limerick Post. And long story short, I ended up getting an internship there. But it was so funny because we had a placement in UL. That's why I chose UL. I didn't want to come back to Dublin yet because most colleges don't have a work placement in it. And I remember going in and he was like, in the interview, he was like, well, we don't have time to like teach someone how to do it. And I was like, give me seven days, like seven days. And I stayed there for eight months. <laughs> so that's the sort of yeah. person I am. Like if I lost Goss tomorrow and you were like, you need to start a chipper and it has to be the best chipper in Ireland. No problem. Mm. Like when I put my mind to something, I just believe in myself so much. Personally, not really, which is really weird. A lot of my friends find it odd. Professionally, I'm like, I can do anything. If you were to ask me how I feel about myself personally, it's been a journey. Like it's mm. very tough. But for some reason, I think work is more controllable. Like you can control how good you do in a day is work or how well you treat customers and stuff. It's hard to control the person personal stuff but definitely with business and stuff there's literally nothing I don't think I could do to be honest hmm. and I think most people actually if you looked inside everyone's capable of doing everything it's just society that makes us think we can't do things it's I bizarre to that, me yeah. yeah I agree with that like it's just I think people lack that drive and then have that fear that stepping out and being out there and I do think it's a society that has people that way though. it's a risk too like I remember leaving the mail to start off it was literally like having my toes on a cliff and being like here we go like it's a huge risk to do something like that yeah I was 24 like mm. and you have to just accept like I used to always be like what's the worst thing that can happen I always say that to people now when they're coming up with ideas of like leaving a relationship leaving a business and the worst thing for me is that I'd have to move back home and I was like do you know what that's not that shit yeah. like I'll work somewhere else if that's what happens in the end and it never happened but that's the question I ask myself because it kind of irritates me now I'm sure it's the same with you guys if someone's like I'm unhappy with my relationship or my job I'm like just leave 
Mm. But like a lot of people are like trapped in this little box where you think you have to do things like you said, go to school, go to college, get married, have a baby, da 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 da. Most people don't think outside the box. It's weird. But the most successful people in the world, if you were to talk to them, they would say all they did was think outside the box. Yeah. There was no limit to their just life. You need to take a risk though. That's all it is. Just it's take the first risk. step that's really scary. Yeah. But to be honest, once you take it, you're jumping off cliffs every day then. It's just yeah. like, that's going to be fine. It's going to work out. Yeah. There's always a solution to everything. Even like the worst things that can happen to you in life there's always a way out or a way to kind of find some sort of peace with it mm. I think people get scared with the idea of leaving the norm and like their communities and stuff they're all in the norm so it's weird yeah. for them yeah. some of them are not even risk though I think it's just phrased as a risk it's just outside the norm you're just going against yeah. the status quo it's like this is what society says you're supposed to do in this situation so you do it whereas you, you just go I don't want to do that. I'm going to go this way. People are like, what the fuck are you doing? And we need to work better as as society. Like imagine like you guys, like if you could go back to yourselves in secondary school and tell yourselves you could actually start a business in terms of being a podcaster. Like you wouldn't even have known that. And when I was in school, no one came in and said, if you're not good at this or good at that, because I was shit at school for so long, they were never like, you can do something on your own. You can make something like that was never taught to us yeah. either. Not even podcasting. Like podcasting, I know it's only a new thing saying the last yeah. five, six years, it's really blown up. But in general, like how to start a business. Yeah. Do you know what I like, would love enterprise to become a subject in all schools because there's a lot of people yeah. who aren't book smart, but they are so damn clever yeah. and they see opportunities. And maybe now they're just like selling their friends secondhand things in school, yeah. having a laugh, but they're actually entrepreneurs. And like there's nowhere for them. Like there's kids out there who are buying and selling runners while they're in yeah. secondary school. Yeah. So they're buying these hype runners yeah. and they're selling them on for hundreds of euro profit. And, and like, Going then to buying do stolen stuff as well and they're going to end up in jail and you're just like if someone could just sit them down and go you'd be an amazing car salesman or yeah. you'd be amazing if you set up your own design your own runners there's no one to say that and that really upsets me but that is also why people don't feel supported in doing other things because there's no one saying go out and do you like it is definitely better these days but definitely when I was growing up that was never I mean mm. I remember going to my guidance counselor telling him all these ambitions I had and he was like I think a nurse would be yeah. I was like, I failed junior state science. <laughs> but like, they just had one thing, women be nurses, guys do tech. I remember that was that at the time. And I was like, so I always felt like such an outsider. I actually felt like a bit of a freak because I had no friends. So I was being bullied. Everybody hated me. And then on top of that, I wanted to do all these things that nobody was doing and no one could tell me the pathway to it. I just couldn't relate to it though. That's... I couldn't relate to anyone. And I even yeah. felt I couldn't relate to my own family. Like I really felt like such a black sheep in many, many ways. And even when I wanted to start Goss, I had to kind of start off by telling people the news, being like, you're just going to have to deal with it because like you can't talk me out of it. Because mm -hmm. people just didn't understand it, you know, and that's yeah. definitely a big part of it. Well, can, can definitely relate to it because even when we started this, I was in a good job. I was in a well-paid job and I left that to start this because I wanted my mind to be fully in this yeah. I could, didn't really want to go to work and then be worrying about getting time off and going down the podcast and trying to balance the two things well, I just left my job yeah. and went f all in on this and like my family and stuff were saying like, are you serious like yeah. I didn't have a job to do this didn't know where it was really you know what I mean yeah. how the fuck do you make money off this and now it's a full time job like, but again like, what's the worst that would have happened you just go back and get another job literally mm -hmm. exactly what I said to anybody who said it to me I was like <laughs> the worst thing that can happen is I just go back to the job or I go to but a, you'd a kick yourself job. the rest of your life but and like what me. if exactly. yeah. we were joking last week though because we used to do the podcast at like 8 and 9 in the morning Yeah. and like, that's because just the time that worked and I was like if someone said to Terrence look we have Ali Ryan at 8, <laughs> eight o'clock tomorrow morning he'd be like fuck that I'm not getting up <laughs> <laughs> it's true the drive was there at the start but you have was. to go all in like I really believe in like 
the universe and when I say the universe I mean like the power of a law of attraction like I'm really into that so I always do say to people you have to go all in because if you're not giving it your all how are you going to expect all of it to come back to you mm-hmm. and you do have to I think take that even that doesn't mean anyone listening to be like leave your job right now you have to have a bit of a plan like mm-hmm. do no, have just a plan. leave your job and just <laughs> do start the a plan the universe will give you the opportunity yeah. take a plan but like I have no regrets and even looking back to that summer which I thought was the worst summer of my life it got worse obviously but um now I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I could like go back to her and be like, no, 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 no. You're just fighting against what's meant to happen. Like this is the way it's meant to go. And I wish more people understood that as well. You know, like if an opportunity comes up and it doesn't seem like it's what you want, but it's there. It's like it's there for a reason. Like you're meant to do it, even if it seems so shit at the time. Like even if someone loses a job or if someone's listening has lost a job or lost a partner, like in a few years, it's going to make sense. Mm. And you couldn't have told me that years ago. I would have been like, everything's terrible. But I kind of, I my mom gave me the secret when I was like 19. You know that book? Mm-hmm. And it literally like changed my life. Like I still live by it now, which is hard because sometimes there's still really shit times, but I still very much believe you can do anything you put your mind to if you believe in yourself enough. Like, and that's kind of, for me, the takeaway from that book. Yeah. Some of it's a bit kind of up in the air and a bit flimsy. Magical. Bit. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe in all that. You have to put it out there and then work your ass off to get it. Yeah. It's not that you just write it on a sheet and then like put it away. Like I work towards it, but I've had so many book lists over the years. And I remember there was one in particular, I think it was in 2018. And I didn't look at it for ages. And I looked at it and every single thing was ticked off. And, and there was stuff on it like, the crazy stuff like definitely the Oscars and all them had been on it like I'm one of them a couple of years ago was like get a law degree and I was like maybe when I'm retired or something and now I have a law degree like so it's just it's weird it's not that it magically happens it's just when you say it and when you write it down you're telling your subconscious that it's possible and that you believe you can do it that's how I think all that manifestation works it's not that like someone's listening going oh here's a new car it's just that you start getting driven (laughs) to it like your subconscious is a powerful thing and if you're going to sleep at night thinking you're worthless and you're never going to get a nice car and you're never going to have a good job how are you going to work towards that Mm. so that's what I think manifestation is about but I I love it I'm obsessed with it still Mm. Ali you said that you had the bad summer (laughs) going into the live insert and you said it wasn't even the worst one no so it would have been early on in your goss career yeah 2014 yeah yeah and that was actually the summertime as well Mm. (laughs) I have bad summer vibes don't I I bring the bad vibes yeah, so I was in, it's so weird how it all happened because I was a year into the business and keep in mind what I was saying to there, I had like no money, sold my car, sleeping on the floor, trying to keep every part of me positive because I was like, this is so, so tough. And I had kind of been with a guy on and off who I had worked with before. So like in a senior position, so somebody I had like an elevated level of trust with, you know, someone who had like looked after me in the workplace and it wasn't like serious or anything. It was just like... On and off, you know, well, we weren't going to get married or anything like that. And I was on holidays with my sister in Greece, God love her. <laughs> She's always around for really traumatic things happened to me. And I was getting this call off a blocked number. And there was this girl that this guy had also seen on and off at different times to me. And she just hated me. She was in the industry as well. I always had bad blood with her even before this happened. She just hated me for some reason. It was really weird. She was on the other end of the phone and I was like, why are you ringing me? Like, this is weird. And she was like, I'm watching your sex tape right now. Like, I'm going to ruin your life. And I was just like, this girl's a psycho. Like, what is she on about? And I was just like, oh, whatever. But then she started step by step talking about the details of what she was seeing and I remembered the last time I slept with that guy and I was like oh my god there is a video what's she seeing and then I thought maybe he told her what I was wearing or something I was like how is she getting these details because like as far as I was concerned I was never filmed having sex in my entire life 
But she went into such specific detail in a spiteful way to upset me that I realized that it was real. And then, yeah, when that phone call ended, it literally changed the rest of my life. I don't know how else to explain it. We were on a tour or something, a bus tour. We just got off it. And I just remember everything going black. Like I honestly, I didn't actually black out, but I feel like I blacked out. And I just started like screaming in the middle of the street. I was like, I don't understand what's going on. I rang him, I texted him. He dealt with it so badly. I was 25 at this point as well. And they were both 10 years older than me. So like... It was really fucked up how it was all handled. But he was very much like, this is your fault. Like, she hates you. Like, she's just trying to get you back. And I was just like, rewind for a second here. Like, did you film me? Why did you film us having sex? And he was just like, yeah, my badge. But like, you know, it was it was really weird those first couple of days because he was obviously petrified of me going to the guards and stuff even though the guards wouldn't have been able to do anything whatsoever. The only legal thing I could have done at the time in terms of getting some sort of justice was like catching her out for stealing property that wasn't hers. That would have been it. Like getting the video. It's madness that is. And I was just so, keep in mind, like remember I said she went no one taking me seriously, right? So I'm a year in business. And after the phone call, she started tweeting things from her account that was alluding to the existence of the video. And she did say on the call, like, I'm going to ruin your life. So straight away, I was like, I have to make sure this doesn't get out. So I texted him. I texted her. I was like, please, like, I will drop this if you please don't tell anyone about this. Like, take down those tweets. I just can't have people knowing about this. Like, this is going to literally ruin my life. Like, please don't talk about it. Like, as soon as someone thinks there's a sex tape, they're going to think I was up for it. They're going to think I'm a slut. Like, it's going to... Publicity something. Kind of yeah. yeah. And it's just, I just going to look like a slut. Like, I was just like, everyone's going to think I'm up for it all the time. And like, I'm, I'm actually really the opposite to that. So it really bothered me. I was like, this is what's going to happen. So I begged the two of them, even though the two of them had fucked me over and like, were about to ruin my life. I was begging them like please don't share this please don't tell anybody and then another tweet went up and then the last day I was like in the airport on my way home and I got a text from someone like I knew being like everybody's heard that you have a sex tape with this guy and I was just like oh my god this is the start of it now like this is it like and when I got back to Dublin I really wanted to just act like it hadn't happened so I went to a few events and like nobody would speak to me it was literally like being back in the school room again everybody knew about it like Every fucking person in the industry knew about it in my circles, like people that I would have said were my friends, like knew about it. And not one single person in those six years asked if I was okay. Like no one in those circles did. Like it was just juicy gossip. They were sharing it with each other. They were asking for it. Like I heard people were like set tasks to try and find it. Like it just like really spiraled out of control so quickly. And he was telling me that he was telling everybody it wasn't real. So I kept saying, she's a psycho, she's making it up, like it didn't happen, like what's wrong with her or whatever. And then he was kind of still on the scene as well. So I used to have to go to events, traumatised, trying to fucking not kill myself, to be honest. And he would just be there and I'd be like, hey, because I was like, no one can know that this is real. Like, because if they do, they're all going to find the video. So I was just like acting really normal and I'd be like dying inside seeing him. Like, And then one day I figured out, I was at a random bar with a few guys that I knew. One of them knew him and we were randomly chatting and just this guy said it in a jokey way. He was like, Asher, like blah, blah, your sex tape. And I just started bawling, crying. And he was like, Jesus, like, what the hell? And I was like, do you not understand what happened? Like, nobody inquired either, but nobody knew that he had filmed me without my consent. He had basically been telling everybody that I did do it on purpose and that, like, I just didn't want anyone to know about it. And there was me going around being like, it's not true, it's not true. So I looked like a liar who was trying to cover stuff up. So I was making it worse for myself. But he was one of his really good friends and he had no idea. Do you know how he filmed it? Yeah. Yeah, like he filmed it with a device in the room we were in, but like I never saw it. Like, I just had that set up like. Yeah. 
Like Yeah. That's what freaks me out the most about it. Like the fact that he was afraid of you going to the police would say that he's he knows he's doing something wrong. Yeah. He knows that they he's an intelligent wrong. man. Like, you know, he knew. And like, I remember a few weeks later, he said something like, God, like you had every right to get the guards here. They could have been at my front door the next morning. Like he totally manipulated me not to do it. I remember being in the airport, like on the phone, being like, I'm going to the guards. And he was like, do you really want like middle-aged man, wa- men watching this video in these police stations? Like, do you know, what's that going to do to your reputation? Like he totally manipulated me not to do anything. And at the time, all I wanted was to control it. I was like, I don't want anyone to see this. Like, that's all I cared about at the time. Wasn't really thinking like this is wrong. He should go to jail. I was just like, oh my god, how am I gonna just keep this? Yeah. yeah, and I also was like really struggling for people to take me seriously. And I was like, this is just horrendous. Like, so that kind of happened for the first couple of weeks. There, she kept tweeting. Like, she actually tweeted a drawing of it once um, and put it on her profile. And she's she was at the time a, a well known person in the industry. Like, and everybody was seeing that. So let's just say for a second, you don't know I was filmed out my consent, whatever. But you know that someone's basically blackmailing me. Like everyone could see her tweets being like, we're going to upload it today. It's going up on YouTube. Like she literally was threatening me. So I'd wake up every morning, maybe for a second, I'd forget about it. And then I'd literally just start crying every day. I was like, this is the day. This is the day it's going to come out like this is it's going to happen today. Because she was constantly talking about it and sharing it and everything. And I went to lawyers at the time to keep in mind, right, this is 2014, 15 the Me Too movement had not happened yet, right? So I eventually told my mom about it and like I was like, I think I should go to the guards. I think I should go to my lawyer, even though, like I said, the only thing was like the stolen property or whatever. But her like harassment online and stuff, it technically may be blackmail. But my solicitor was like, you're going to have to basically plan that like this is going to be everywhere because of who I was at the time, who she was and stuff like that. They were like, this is going to be in the papers. And because there was no law against sharing it, they were like, once this is out, everyone's going to find this video. And then my mom, rightly so at the time, she's the most supportive person ever. She wasn't trying to put me against it, but she was like, are people going to believe you? And then I was like, I don't think so. So I kind of didn't do anything then. Now, there was nothing really to be done. It would have been just like some scary letter to her cease and desist, stop tweeting about me, that kind of thing. And she was so unhinged with how she was dealing with things. My solicitors and everything was like, you just don't know what's going to happen like if if you actually go legal with this. So I remember this must have been a year into it. I was like sitting on the windowsill of my office on the phone with my mom, like literally tears streaming down my face. And I was like, I'm literally never going to get justice for this. Like, I'm just going to have to live with this for the rest of my life, even though it was done to me. And she was like, I know. So that's kind of what I thought was the end of it, that like, I'm going to just have to live with this forever. And then about a year later, my team were at a really well-known event, a really big event. And I knew she was going to be there. So I was like, I'm not going to go. Now, keep in mind, in the interval of this, like I would think the odd week odds died down. I haven't heard anything. Like once a childhood friend I hadn't seen in six years rang me saying she was in a random pub and some random guy was like, have you seen all your own sex tape? Like it had gone so much bigger than I thought. So I just thought everybody knew about it. And sorry, so see the tweets. Yeah. Are they saying like as simple as I have a sex tape with Ali Ryan here? She never named me. She just kind of hinted at you though. Yeah, yeah. Which is what made it so complicated as well. Because she never said Ali Ryan. But everybody knew the situation. She was telling everybody in person about Mm. it. So people were like glued to her Twitter. Like every few days there was an update again and again. Like I think she had tweeted at the time. The reason I'm happy to say it all now is because her Twitter is gone. And she actually didn't delete it when I told my story. It was up there for weeks. She literally did not give a fuck about me at all. Like she really didn't. But yeah, it was about a year later and I, I definitely had heard different things about it still. But I was kind of like, look, I haven't seen her in ages, haven't seen him. Like, let's just hope it all calms down. And then my staff went to this big event that lots of really well-known people were at. 
And like, keep in mind, I obviously didn't tell my team about this. Like I was fucking mortified and wanted everyone to think it wasn't true. And they came into work on the Monday and they were like, we something really awkward to talk to you about. And she'd like come over to their table in front of loads of journalists and started talking about the tape again. Like really like horribly, like talking about the details, like what was going on in the video. Because at this point I'd, I'd tried to say it wasn't real. I think some people maybe believed it wasn't, but she was like, no, I'm going to make sure everybody knows this, this is real. People were obviously a bit alarmed by it. I think they, people started to realise then she was a bit, maybe being a bit like crazy about it. Like, why are you still talking about this? Like this is a young girl. People were a bit weird about it then, but still... It was still being talked about. So then that happened and I was like, it's a year later. Like, when is this going to end? Like, why won't she just fuck off? Like, I don't understand it. Like, it's not like they were together and we slept together. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was a consensual thing. She just didn't like me. She knew we'd been together before and she didn't want us to be together. That was it. But keep in mind, they stayed together this entire time, right? He never broke up with her when this happened. And he is in the video too. Like, she was sharing this with people and he was in it. And she was threatening to share it and he was in it. So like it was such a weird situation at the time. So like he wasn't there to help me and be like, oh, everything's going to be okay, all sorted. He just was like, well, I'm staying with her. So it's just, it was really shit at the time. But yeah, anyway, around that time, I was at a house party of one of our mutual friends and he walked in and he like came over and tried to hug me and I literally just screamed. It was so like, I didn't even know. I was literally just like so shocked. And everyone in the party was just like, what the fuck? And he was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, do you not understand like what's been going on this last year? And I explained to him that she'd brought it up again. And he said he honestly did not know that it was still being discussed. Da da da. And the next night I got a call from an unknown number again. And it was her. And she was like, I heard you're like causing this big fuss that you're all upset about the video, blah, blah, blah. Look, it's gone now. Like, I'm not going to do anything about it. You can fucking rest. Like, and then she's like, do you know what it was like for me to come across that video? That's what she said to me on the phone. So she's the victim. Yeah. And I was like, do you know what my life has been like for the last year? And she was like, oh, she literally didn't care. But she's like, whatever, it's gone now. Like, do you think I believe that? Mm. I obviously didn't. And he was standing beside her when the call happened. So I was just like, right. But probably after that time, I didn't really hear from her or about it through her again. So that kind of calmed it down a bit. Mm. But it never went away. Like people were still coming up to me and saying they'd heard this story. And it got such Chinese whispers then that the story version of it was mad. Like it wasn't even what the video was. Like keep in mind, I've never seen it, but like I know what happened. And I just kept still thinking it was going to come out all the time because there was no laws about it. And can't imagine the anxiety of that every single day. I, trying to think. I said it in the piece that I wrote that like... I literally genuinely don't know how I'm still alive after it. I can't explain to you. And I'd say having Goss is probably what saved my life because I had a business to run. Like I had to get up in the morning. Like I didn't want to. Like I literally wanted to die. And I remember my mom's psychiatric nurse. So like she deals with like suicide patients all the time she has in her entire career. It's literally her job. And I remember she said to me like the ones to worry about that are ones that are really calm about it. That they're really like, oh, like, yeah, all good. They're the ones that you're like, oh God, there could be something going on here. And I remember there was one day I was like walking around town and just this weird calm came over me that I was like, God, it would be so much easier. And I was like, yeah. And then I kind of snapped out of it and I was like, oh my God. Like I was literally at that end of it that I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I was literally waking up having panic attacks, like just thinking it was going to happen. Then I was drinking way too much and then I'd go to events and everyone would be like whispering or talking about it. And there was a lot of judgment about it, you know, 
lot of slut shaming because obviously if I had consented to the video, which I didn't, but let's say I had, even if I had, it's still fucked up that someone would take it and threatens to ruin your life over it. But I think a lot of people focused on the fact that like I was a slut, I was well up for it, I wanted this tape That's to exist. That's one of the big things, isn't it, about women though? Like they mm. just get slut shamed and put down. And Well, like the reason it was called revenge porn, they call it into image abuse now, but I kind of still like the word revenge porn because it is a vengeful act. Mm. If it didn't affect a woman's reputation, what would be the big deal? Sex is sex. You see it all the time. The problem is it really, really does affect the reputation mm. of a woman. Like he hasn't had any issues from it. He still had his job. Like nothing happened to him. I think maybe after I told the story, a few people were aware it was him and stuff like that. But like nothing detrimental happened in his life. And at the time when it was talked about, it was high fives to him and to me. It was like, oh, well, you know. But that's the big, big issue where it's the lads kind of get the high fives and the woman gets dragged down and put yeah it was funny to most people they literally mm. thought it was funny like if it was ever brought up like I can't count the amount of guys who said it to me in a jokey way that didn't think I was like mm. upset about it and I'd have to explain the whole story I just felt like I had to keep explaining myself but it got to a point maybe four or five and like there's so many people by the way I did not tell in my life I didn't tell my dad until right before I went to publish the story on Goss I barely told my family, like my sister, when it all happened, the reason we were in Greece is because we were on a bridesmaid holiday. So I had to come back and go to my other sister's wedding. And I kept going upstairs to my room just to cry. Like I literally was just in bits over the whole thing. So there's a lot of people I didn't tell. A lot of friends of mine honestly didn't know either. And I remember I did the Brendan O'Connor show. Like I was saying, I think the way I worried it, it was like, it was like a dark cloud following me every day. It literally was because it was like having a dirty secret. I don't know how people murder people and just walk around because that's what it felt like. Every day it was like, I'm dirty there's this horrible secret that could break at any second of my life and destroy my reputation destroy the business I've been literally having sleepless nights over so that's what it felt like I just had a constant knot in my stomach 24-7 then I'd randomly maybe start to have a good week and then someone would just casually bring it up again it was just non-stop and she was in the industry the whole time so I'd always be nervous about Ali, seeing her Ali do you think that they understood the extent of it with you? I think he does now like I bumped into him after my 30th birthday so this is like three years ago and he was like crying and was like I don't understand how you went through all that and you made it through like he was like I actually don't get it so maybe now I'm sure at the time he was a bit panicked because he didn't want the video out either he's in it you know it wasn't it wasn't going to be good for him either I don't think she has any idea whatsoever, to be honest, or she just does not care. Maybe she thinks I deserve it. But it's very hard for someone to understand what it's like until you go through it. Mm. Like, I honestly can't put it into words to you that pure torment. Like, I, I never thought I'd be happy ever again. Like, I never thought I'd be in like a loving relationship ever again. Like, even with girls, like I didn't trust. You think I trust a girl after that situation? Like, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust clients. They thought maybe they knew. Like, I literally just had no trust for anybody in the world. And I didn't feel like I deserved good people. So I was attracting bad people into my life, like men in particular, because I was like, well, everyone's going to fuck me over anyway. So I might as well have all these horrible people around. I just had such a toxic life. And then I was drinking all the time. Like every time there was, like in the show was industry, you can be drinking five days a week, no problem. And I kind of just buried my head, like gained loads of weight. I was just such a miserable, miserable person. And the fact that it was because of a decision that these two people made, it killed me that I was never going to get, see any sort of justice. And the reason I was saying earlier that things happen for a reason, like I genuinely was starting to believe that like karma doesn't exist. Like how could it? She still has her job. He's having a good life. Everyone was still friends with them both. Like there was no repercussions. 
it wasn't until later on when I came up with my story instead of working with the Department of Justice that I started to realize like this was all meant to happen in this way. And I look back now and I'm like, in a way, it's weird to say it because it's happened to so many people that are really young and like inexperienced and they're too scared to talk. So sometimes I'm like, it's probably better that it happened to me just so it could be talked about because there's so many people that suffer in silence. And for some reason, I was ready to talk about it. So Ali, you know when she rang you that time, it was like, why are you still going on about this? It's gone, blah, blah, blah. How much of a gap was that between that and you actually publishing your story? Four years later. So what's going on in them four years then? Like, it was still talked about and stuff like that, but I didn't hear from her directly. So I just tried my best to forget about it. Now, sorry, not the full four years, but about two years. Then I was starting to kind of come out the other side of it. And I was just like, I really wish I could tell people what, what happened. Because yeah. it became this, at this point, it was like an old bit of gossip, but it was still like Ali Ryan sex tape, Ali Ryan sex tape. Like, if you type in my name, it comes up as a search. Like, it was still a thing. But in 2018, so this would have been, what, three years on, so maybe a year and a half to two years later, this bill got put in the doll that mentioned, I don't know, I think, was it, called, was it called revenge porn? I don't know, it mentioned it anyway. And Coco's Law, I think, was being mentioned and stuff then. So I kind of started perking up and being like, I need to make sure that this happens. And there was a lot of advocates talking about revenge porn, talking about being bullied online and stuff. But I still couldn't tell my story because if I said it on Twitter or like went on the Joe Duffy show, I was like, people are just going to find the video and share it. And there's nothing illegal about it. There's literally nothing illegal yeah. about it still at this point. Three years later, it still wasn't illegal. So I kind of privately in the background was like getting on to the Minister for Justice every time, getting on to the advocates of telling them what happened to me and being like, you should do this and you should talk to this person. Because I still couldn't say anything myself. And I got asked to cover some of the stuff the advocates were doing, kind of like slow, slyly in the background, like not really saying why I was kind of covering it and stuff like that. So I kind of was waiting and biding my time then. And then COVID happened <laughs> on top of everything. So when COVID happened, I was like, where the fuck is this bill? Like, do you know, it's been two years. Like, what is going on? And then we had this like online kind of odd video series and I interviewed Jackie Fox and I told her what happened to me as well. I was like, I know, I knew what was going on with the legislation with Coco's Law. Um, so obviously for anyone who doesn't know, Jackie Fox's daughter committed suicide after being relentlessly bullied online. So the Department of Justice had decided to amalgamate the two bills. So it was online harassment and it was revenge porn into an image of abuse now. So when we did our interview, when it was over, I started telling her what happened. And I was like, I need, like, we need to push this through. So again, I was chatting to her behind the scenes. She told me then a couple of weeks later, like December is going to be the time when it comes through. It's when, when she thought about it. So I don't know how I even came to the decision, but I was just like, I think it's time to like tell my story about what happened. A part of it was I was still waking up five years on with this feeling of anxiety, of holding on to a secret, of not being able to tell. Like, keep in mind, like, I'd go on first dates with guys and be like, you might have heard about it. Like, I'd have to yeah, tell people. Yeah, yeah. And it was really, really upsetting me. I'd have to relive it every time. And I remember saying to my mom, I actually just wish it was out there now. I wish, like, everybody just knew because, like, it's just eating me alive. So when I knew it was going to be passed, I kind of decided I think it's time. So literally one day on my laptop in COVID, I wrote this piece called The Truth About My Sex Tape and I left it in a draft. And I remember telling the girls, like, I'm going to publish it on Goss. And even they were a bit like, I don't, like, I don't know. Do you know, like, is this the right decision? 
And then I told my mom about it. And my mom's just so protective over me. And she was just like, I don't know. What if people don't believe you? What if this? What if that? And I literally said to her, I was like, mom, there is literally no more worse I can feel about this. If this gives me 1% of freedom from this, mm. I have to do it. But she was just so worried that it wouldn't be taken well. And then it was literally like, December 27th so I was in my mum's house for Christmas I got a notification that the president had signed it into legislation I was like here we go and I literally pressed publish and then I turned off my phone I turned everything off I went for a bath and I kind of thought that like one part of it for me was telling my side of the story more so because I knew so many people had this idea of what had happened back then because she was talking about it all the time so I knew people thought I think there was at one point a story going around that like I had filmed us on purpose and sent it to her like there was all these different versions and a part of me was like I want those media people those journalists back then to see this and realise what they participated in mm. because it literally ruined my life that's kind of the way I thought of it and then the other side of it was like I had seen loads of advocates talking about it and I kept seeing people be like this happened to me this happened to me so I was like if one person reads this now and goes oh my god I feel understood because I grew up not feeling understood and during those years felt so alone I was like that would be worth it so I had my bath turned off my phone da 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 and then when I turned my phone back on I was just nothing in my lifetime could have prepared me for the response that I got I still to this day get messages every single week I was just so blown away like the people that shared the article and like I can't explain the feeling of freedom that it gave me like it's literally changed my life talking about it and even at the time my family even though I was getting really positive feedback were still a bit like was this the right call and then the Brendan O'Connor show asked me to come on and we did this big interview and then I remember my family all listened to it as a pre-record and my mum said afterwards it wasn't until she listened to it that she understood what I'd been going through because in that interview I was saying about waking up crying and like the fact that like it was like a weight had lifted when I finally told the story and that now I have it pinned to my Twitter, pinned to my Instagram. There is no people finding out. No one will ever be able to hold it over me that like someone's going to find out about this. Like I've been blackmailed by strangers over this for money and stuff because they had seen it. They had the video and I'm like, I've taken that away now from everyone. Yeah, no one can yeah. ever hold it over me again. And the freedom that gave me, I literally woke up lighter the next day and I didn't realise how badly it was affecting me even. Even at that point, I didn't realise and so many people believed me, which shook my soul. I didn't really think everybody would, to be honest. I thought there'd be questions, but like there really wasn't at the time. Everyone was like, this is terrible. Dozens of messages every single day been like this happened to me I too. I can't imagine the relief after yeah. everything you were at the going through. It was, I can't, it's really hard to even quantify it like mm. to be honest I don't know how I survived those like five six years not talking about it. and like I said people in my life didn't even know yeah so I'd imagine I connected a lot of dots of people be like that's why Ali was behaving Absolutely. this way or that's why she didn't do that and that's why she was doing this and, that's and why most she, maybe people she was were just like how are you still going like because the other very stressful things were happening with us so like people were just like oh my god so I was like sleeping in the office floor barely at four things and also having these panic attacks and these episodes and like I struggle with depression anyway like I have for a long time so imagine this on top of that like I just developed the worst anxiety ever but you know what's what's funny like the people that were involved let's say participated shared bitched or whatever none of them like ever messaged me after the article came out like they never were like I'm so sorry I can't believe that's what actually happened and none of them actually did I'd say they feel they probably hate themselves a little bit I would say maybe a little bit of shame from a like mm. yeah 
It's weird to me, though. I thought maybe someone would be like Jesus, but I think they're just maybe so ashamed that they partook in it in such a heavy way. And even aside from the partaking, it's the fact, like I can literally, as if it was yesterday, remember going into that first event and everybody talking about it and people like purposely not coming near me and talking to me. And I'm like, how did all these people not ask me, was I all right? Even if they thought I'd partook in it, how are they not worried about me? Like this person's on Twitter telling me they're going to ruin my life and share it and not one person came over and was like, you all right? It was barbaric, like really, to be honest. Like mm. it's it's literally like leaving someone die on the side of the road. That's literally what it felt like. And that's also why I didn't speak up. I was like, well, no one cares anyway, so I'll just leave it. Yeah. And I just, like I said, I didn't think I was going to be believed. When I started seeing the Me Too movement, I started to start thinking, maybe there's going to be a way for me to talk about this one day. But I, nothing would have prepared me for the reaction, to be honest. You said that this was kind of married to him with Coco's Law. So what? What is now an offence and what is this yeah. attitude of revenge porn? So basically it's up to seven years in prison now to share an intimate image of someone without their consent. So that can be like a naked photo. It can be a video. And now also it's an offence to film someone without their consent. Like I still think that's crazy that that wasn't an offence back then. As in like if I had broken into your house and filmed you having sex with your girlfriend, the only thing that would have got me was breaking, breaking an entry. Yeah. Mm. So that's now an offence. And then the other thing which is really important is that if you share an image that's been forwarded to you that you know like is without, like obviously it's without someone's consent. If a guy is like, oh, look at my bird, blah, blah, blah. That's an offence as well. And then threatening to share probably the most important part of the legislation in a way because like a lot of this boils down to blackmail and being blackmailed it's up to a year in prison just to say that you are going to yeah Yeah, that's it and that's the big thing I think a lot of people don't know like one of the main questions I get on DMs and stuff is like my boyfriend my boss my whatever has this video of me I don't know what to do he's saying if I go to the guards he's going to share it and I'm like that is the offence already Mm. tell the guards they're saying that and a big part of the whole campaign is I was getting guards trained up because I was blackmailed, like I said, by a stranger for money saying he had the video. So that was an offence. I was like, OK, right. One thing is an offence, blackmailing for money, extortion. It's not illegal. Uh, so I went to the guards and I remember I told them the story because I had to put context into why I was being yeah. blackmailed. It was the first time I'd ever talked about it to a guard and they definitely didn't understand back then. They were kind of like right they just didn't really know about it like now the department of justice have put a lot of work into it they know now Mm. and like when i launched everything with the department of justice like a big part of it was that they were educating the guards and like that was a really difficult experience like i know you had eve mcdowell on before it's so hard to come out and tell your story when you do it really publicly that way like i had done it on my website I did interviews with people I knew. It was like heavily produced stuff. And when the Department of Justice came to me and asked me to like literally be the face of it, I was just like, okay. It honestly was re-traumatizing, I would say. I had to literally go through it all over again because I had to give a victim impact statement on the press conference. I'd sit down with RT News, like Virgin Media News. It was just a whole thing again. And I remember like standing in the room. It was in the Department of Justice, such a surreal moment. I had the sentence written of like, I'm lucky to be alive. And my voice started cracking. I was like, no, do not cry. Like it was so hard to go back through all that. But again, I was like, I have to talk about this. Like who else is going to talk about this? And then I think within a matter of months, there had been like a hundred images taken down or something really big. Anyway, I was delighted about it. And now there's been 105 prosecutions. So like, that makes it worth it for me because that was a really tough time when I had to go through it all again. It was really, really tough, I have to say, that campaign because I was just like being brought back through it step by step again. And I remember saying to my mom, like, I just, 
even though I'm glad that this is happening and I'm glad I've turned it into a positive, I still look back and I'm like, why didn't I look around the room that day? Like, I'm still blaming myself. It's crazy the shame that comes with it. Like, I was like, I am glad that I'm doing it, but like, why me? Like, why? Like, how did that ha- I just can't believe it. Like, I was still saying it to it's her. It's definitely like, not your fault though. Or how could you know anything? Do you get me? I know. Like, it's... It's just your I mind know, plays games with you. Because it was a split second decision that could have changed everything. Mm. But like, why would you with someone you trust that you've been with on and off? Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, I just mm. never, I never would have it's thought. It's so strange. It's not something that you should be checking yeah. for. <laughs> you shouldn't go yeah. into a room with a man and have a look around the room. Have a look yeah. at the corners and here and there. Yeah. Like, it's not one of them things, so. And obviously we slept together before and there's no videos of that. So like, and it wasn't a thing, but I really kind of went through it all again. It was probably therapeutic in a way, but when that press conference was coming out, I really had to prepare myself and it was honestly another level like my story in the Brendan O'Connor show it was big but I was literally on the six o'clock news on RT mm. like I was sitting down in front of the entire nation mm. telling them what happened to me and explaining that it was illegal but it really was so good like I think the percentage increase and in, like the amount of people that understood what intimate image abuse was understood what illegal it like fired in the last the weeks after that so I was like okay that was absolutely yeah. worth it and that's why the reason why I'm going to ask these questions is because like We've been in bleeding WhatsApp groups, there'll be 50 people in it. You get sent something, you don't know, do you know what I mean? So yeah. It's innocently people are sending these like random things that have been forwarded to them and you'd often get bleeding messages, there'll be like 10 pictures and like some people even read them, they just forward them on or whatever. Yeah. So that's now illegal. It's illegal to forward it on. And the thing is like, even before it happened to me, I obviously don't get sent videos like that, but like I would know people who would have got videos and pictures and be like, that's a bit fucked up. But I never stopped and thought about the girl in the image or the girl in the video. And I think that's the issue with lads mainly. And the reason I told my story was to explain and describe to people how horrific it made me feel. Because you get a video into your WhatsApp today, maybe like of a girl giving head to some guy or whatever. You're going to be like, oh, gosh, that's mad. But like, do you stop and go, does she know that video is being made? First of all, does she know that that's been sent? Does she have a job that she could lose if that goes viral? Like no one really stopped to ask those questions. If she finds out about this, is she going to be suicidal? Is she, is she like, I know people that got kicked out of their house from their parents and stuff because something went viral. Like, we just don't understand the effects of it. And I still think that's tricky. I still don't think people do really understand it. And it's more terrifying now because we have apps that take ages to delete things like TikTok. WhatsApp is a huge issue because it's encrypted. Like, it's mm. very hard to get things taken off WhatsApp. So it's really, really scary. You know, you can still go to prison and all that stuff. But in terms of removing things, a lot of it's out there for life. That's what I always say to people now. I'm like, it has to stop with you. Like, if you get a message into your lad's chat, it's not, ah, piss off, don't be sending that. It's you literally sit that person down and be like, do you understand what you're doing? Like, who is that video from? Blah, blah, blah. And if they don't listen to reason, you report them to the guards. And I know that's hard because people are like, well, that's my mate. But like, if you keep letting it happen, when's it going to end? Like, literally, when is it going to end? We all play a part in it. And like, girls are some of the worst, worst slut shamers in the world. Like, you know, like the worst kind of attitude I got during that time were mainly from women calling me a slut, saying I was asking for it, that I was up for it, that sort of thing. It was more so than men. So like women are just as bad misogynists as men are, to be honest. See if I get sent the picture now and I don't know, I was a nude or whatever. And I opened it and I was like, oh, Terrence, look at that. And I just show Terrence on yeah. my phone. Is that an offence? No, it's, it's more the sharing of the actual images. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. so forwarding it on, that sort of thing. The person who sent it to you would be absolutely fucked. Um, but if you shared it on yourself, you can end up in jail. Too. No, what I mean is, like, let's say a random girl yeah. sent me it. Oh, and sorry. I was like, parents, no. look at that, what no, she's no, had no. to send to me. I so mean, yeah, that worries so many people. So 
Well, technically sharing it with him is an offence. But like if she sends you a photo and you're looking at it or whatever and it's on your phone, there's no offence there. Like she's consensually sent it to you, but she hasn't given the consent to show it to him. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, technically, no, you can't share it. Any sort of sharing, even if it is. I know that's obviously harder to prove because you're just flicking the phone. Yeah. But if you had forwarded it on the text to him, yeah, you've broken the law. And then another one I was thinking about as well. So you often hear girls online saying, I'm constantly getting sent poxy pictures off these fellas oh, random fellas in my DMs mm. so what people used to do was to screenshot them and be like this random artist had to send me this dick pic or whatever mm. and shame them or call yeah. them out or whatever yeah. so surely this law stops that then yeah if it's without someone's consent you're breaking the law so now in fairness sending dick pics is his own offence I think that's coming in <laughs> do you know what I mean like that's like breaking the law in another way um, but yeah if you share an image of anybody without their consent even if you and your girlfriend like made a sex tape together and she was like, oh, I really want to show it to two of your mates, these two. If you share it to that third mate that's not involved, you're breaking the law. Like literally, it's all to do with the consent of the person, what they allow. Because what you don't want is slut shaming girls either being like, don't be sending nudes because you're going to get like, you're going to get fucked. You're going to get like people blackmailing you, blah, blah. It can't be that either. Because some people genuinely should be allowed to send a naked picture to their boyfriend. Like we mm. can't shame people into stop doing it. The issue is that if it's only for you, it's only for you. If you use that to show it to other people, that's where it starts becoming an offence. Because when you're doing that, it's derogatory as well why would you show your mates mm. it's a mad ego thing or something yeah. that, isn't but it? it's like, also to like make the girl look like a piece of meat like you hardly yeah. are in love with your girlfriend if you're showing your mates mm. something she did with you or her being naked it is really to belittle that girl like it's done to cause harm and the wording of the legislation is so good because it literally says about the threatening like even if you don't mean it to elicit harm like if you don't realise it's going to cause harm does not matter you innocently yeah. send it to somebody does yeah, not yeah. matter or innocently threaten it like if you're like oh I'm going to whatever it doesn't matter they're yeah. very strict on it and the wording had to be strict and I had said that to them before it happened like it has to be so strict that like literally it deter because that's what legislation does it's meant to deter people and stop it but it's more so deter people from it happening in the first place like yes it needs to punish people but like you want to get to a point where it's not happening and the digital age is getting scarier and scarier and scarier and with Snapchat and stuff things disappearing I'm sure so many things have been shared on there that you can't even prove because like it's gone mm. do you know what I mean so it's it's getting more and more difficult I think that's why the law had to be so strict about it yeah another thing I seen was you know OnlyFans models were coming on they're running them up because their stuff has been leaked yeah. or shared yeah what that's an offence as well is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, did they consent to someone seeing it that's not on their platform? Would they yeah. have sent it to? No. That's the question you have to ask is like, was this consensually shown to me? Does this person in the video want me to see it? If they don't, it's an offense. All right. It's that simple. And the OnlyFans thing is complicated. And it also made hard for people to feel sorry for victims, which I really hate because people are like, oh, well, they're on OnlyFans, they're OnlyFans models. But like they are only giving their content to certain people. They still don't want it to be everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, so that's what I found difficult. Like when I was about to come out the story, a couple of OnlyFans girls had talked about it happening to them. And I could see the reaction online. Like guys just were not buying it. Like they did not care. And that was one of the reasons I was like, right, well, I'm from a, I'm a well-to-do girl. I have a good job, normal life. People are going to be shocked when I say that this has happened. And that's literally the reaction I got. Like I've had so many men message me like, oh my, I have daughters like I never thought to second guess a message like this like I get them all the time guys who are like oh like I've been sent things before and I never realised how bad it was you know like that's really what I wanted and I don't know 
I think it would take someone to really talk about the true detriment of it for people to actually listen up. Mm. And like there's an ongoing campaign with the Department of Justice. So you probably still see the video ads. Yeah. No excuses. Yeah. Hashtag no excuses. That's a big one. And there's still ongoing stuff all the time. But they're continuously really trying to push it. But like 105 prosecutions is amazing. And like what, it's like amazing. Three years if even. If even three years, two yeah. years. Yeah, two years of it. So it's crazy. And like a lot of them have been reported. There's a massive increase of reporting, but I'd say it's only the tip of the iceberg, to be honest. Yeah. It's way more prevalent. And where it's really prevalent, which is the scariest, is it's younger people than people. Like a lot of women in their 20s are coming forward. It's 16 to 24, I would say. It's so bad. Mm. Imagine being a girl as well at that age. You probably don't even understand any of your rights, let alone your rights with this. Like yeah. it's it's tough. So like when we were talking about the campaign recently, I was saying to them, I was like, this ad needs to be on TikTok. Like you need to get the younger, younger lads, the younger, younger girls. Um, so I think that's a big part of what they're doing now is like making sure it's on social media because I don't think 17 year olds are watching RTE on the, on the ad break. You know what I mean? Like, so mm -hmm. it has to get everywhere. But there's definitely more awareness, but I think there's a lot more to be done still. Yeah. Where's your head at today with all of it? Like yeah, you look it's back hard. on it. I don't know. Like, I definitely am a better place now, obviously. Mm -hmm. yeah, like, I wasn't yeah. able to talk about it before without bawling, crying, or having panic mm -hmm. attack and stuff like that. So I'm in a better place, but it's probably because I've been able to do something good with it. You know, I don't know. Because I said to you there was no justice, and there wasn't. Like, you know, the law in Ireland is not retrospective. When the law came in, I couldn't be like, right, arrest them. You know, look what they did to me. And because for so long, no one knew how bad it was. I thought I'd never feel a sense of justice. But to be honest, I did. Like when the story came out and I was believed and then I fronted that Department of Justice campaign, I kind of, not, I didn't think everything happened for a reason because I'd rather it didn't happen. But I started being like, I was able to make this good. Like I've been able to help people and that's why I'm a bit more calm about it now. Like I still obviously have massive trust issues and like I still think people kind of, probably still talk about it and don't believe me the odd time and stuff like that. But no, I'm in a better place overall. It took years of like heavy therapy and like I said, self-medication. But I think it was literally just the day I posted that story. So it's hard to explain how I kind of started to get over it because it literally just like lifted out of my soul and just disappeared into the air. It was the weirdest thing. I was literally like, oh, okay. It's like, you know, like a demon was living inside me and then it just got released mm. and it just never came back. So it's definitely been so different then. Obviously, the Department of Justice campaign, like I said, that was a bit tough. I found that hard reliving it all because I kept being like, oh, why did this happen to me? Like, I found that really hard. But since then, now I'm like very much trying to just lean into the advocacy thing and like how we can change it and... It's been amazing to see like Coco's Law in action and stuff like it's crazy. And even the relationship I have with the Department of Justice, like, you know, I'm, I'm fighting for other legislation at the moment, like an anti-trolling one. And like, I never would have gotten to that door if it wasn't for this. Yeah. So I'm trying my best to look at it as I turned such a horrible thing into something good. And that's what makes me sleep at night now. Didn't sleep for about six years, but I sleep now. Yeah, well, you're an inspiration and you're sharing the message now and it's brave of you to share the message and obviously it couldn't be easy. That's why I was asking where you're at now, but I'm sure now you've realised the positive message that you're sending out there and what you're trying to do. So I'm sure that gives you some sort of relief for it all. Yeah, everything. definitely. And like, I never expected people to contact me and stuff. So I found that really weird at the start. But then by kind of now, I'm just like, I'm happy when someone drops me a message because I can be like, go here, go there. Yeah. Like when it happened to me, there was nowhere to go. There was no one to call. Like maybe I could have called Women's Day, but I didn't understand any of that at the time. It was like the most lonely experience ever. So the one thing I always say about the legislation like it will stop you from doing it I hope but also there's like all these supports now like I wish to God I had had someone to just phone and be like what do I do like there was literally just nobody 
And that was such a lonely journey to go through. So probably the other part of telling my story is that I got to involve a lot more people and be like, I've been feeling like this. Like I literally didn't want to live. I hated myself. I was this. Everyone was just starting to be like, oh, okay. It just, I think it made sense for everyone. But it was obviously really difficult for my family as well. Like the people that did this, I don't think they'll ever understand the effect that it's had. Like imagine being my dad. Hmm. Like he obviously wasn't too happy when he heard what had happened and my sisters and everything. Everyone was just so worried about me all the time. I'd say they just thought they were going to get a call one day saying I was gone. Like, you know, they just couldn't understand how I was dealing with it either. So I hope that with the legislation and the support that no girl has to actually feel that lost. And the same with Eve doing her, I just love Eve, like doing her legislation. It's that sort of thing too. Once there's a process, even if you don't win your case or whatever, it's the fact that someone will be like, oh, I know what to do. Like, I'll listen to you. I believe you. Like, that's, I think, would change a lot of people's lives. But I'm really hoping it kind of stops. Is this what drove you to do the law degree? Yeah. So, like, I always wanted to do law, like I said, going all the way back to my leaving cert. It was my first. I when I when During COVID, like, I lived on my own. And because I'm diabetic, I was in a really high risk category. So I literally didn't see someone for, like, six months at one point. I was, like, going crazy. And I was like, God, maybe I should go back and do some things. I saw the law degree stuff. But the Coco's Law thing all kicked off only about three months into the degree. And I had been thinking about when I was applying for it. I was like, I would love to one day do something with the Department of Justice. But then I kind of got such a hunger for like legislative change. And then I was like, right, I need to use this degree to understand every single element of everything. And in first year, criminal law was one of our main subjects and stuff. So I started getting really, really into that. So yeah, as the degree progressed, every time I was like, well, I could do this and I could do that. And I did family law as an elective because like that's a lot of the stalking kind of falls underneath that but like domestic violence and stuff like I really wanted to understand that because I just really want to help people in some way and then the Department of Justice campaign happened about a year into that degree so I hadn't even been contacted by them yet but now I'm like so focused on legislative change you've no idea like I'd say they're sick of me in there (laughs) because the thing one of the things that happened during all that time right is that remember I said I got blackmailed by someone that I didn't know I was just like, how are these things going online? How did her tweets go online and nothing happened? So the new legislation I'm working on is this kind of anti-trolling is kind of the name of it, but it's more not allowing anonymous accounts online and finding a way to do that in Ireland. It's been done in Australia. There's a bill called the anti-trolling bill in Australia. But because of the EU, we have all these GDPR rules, you know, GDPR. Mm. Everyone's always shining on about it. There's loads of complications around it, but I'm like fighting for it. So when I was saying earlier on about the online bullying that goes on, I mean, I'm sure you've heard some stories about some of the forums that are around, have you? Mm. We try not to talk about it. But the stuff that goes on there, and again, you have to imagine someone like me who's been through so much and the lies and the rumours, and then something like that starts going up online and you're just like, when does it end? But that's just a sad... You not feel after coming out the other side that you can look at that and be like, I actually feel sorry for these people because I went on and I looked before Mm. and I seen something and I was like, do you know what? I'm not angry with what you're saying. I actually feel bad for you that mm. you feel the need to come onto this forum and say find a little things. community mm. and to make say, yourselves feel better. Yeah, but like find this negativity space and be like, yeah. do you feel negative like I do? And you do as well. Let's be negative together because I need that connection. And I'm like, I feel sad for you, mate. I feel you know sad what I mean? now. Get help. When it all first started, the thing that really triggered me is that there was like a rumour that I was having an affair with someone. So keep in mind, if anyone even mentions my sex life, I have such anxiety over it. But it was completely made up and it was on one of those forums. And at the time, I was like, oh, whatever. And then sure, everybody in the industry started talking about it. It was literally like going back to 
2014 again. I was like, oh my God, why does everybody want me to be this promiscuous girl riding half a dozen? I was like, it's not even true. And it really bothered me. But there's a lot of dodgy things with those forums. Like, for example, like people's addresses being shared on there and stuff. It's literally like a map to someone who wants you dead, like easily mm. find out where you live. There's a load of things like that. But from like a legal point of view, and this is why I love doing the degree as well. Like, I don't know if you know much about defamation law. Like I studied at loads. We do. You do know. You have yeah, to be. <laughs> I studied it I was in the newspapers and stuff but I really studied it during college and like it's mad like on this show we could say one thing that only suggests something and it's like 50 grand lawsuit you can go on that forum and say I'm a drug dealer mm. nothing's ever going to happen yeah. to you so my big thing now with the department is trying to get legislation in it's not necessarily to just punish the people that are writing it but to punish the sites that are hosting it because they're we'll making well, millions that's how it works here so like if you come in here and you slated a yeah. random person yeah. And we publish that. We're like, well, we didn't say it. Ali did. Yeah. We're liable. But I come in and you like distort my voice, cover my face. Like, who said it? And this is what it's like being on the forums. Like, who said it? No one knows. Hmm. And a lot of these organizations are faceless themselves. So you're struggling to even get them. But one of the changes that I've already helped enact was there's this thing called a Norwick Pharmacal Order, which again, you learn through the degree, where you can unmask people online, but it's a high court order. So you literally have to pay like, what's that? Like over 50 grand to go to court. Lisa McGowan did it. You know, Lisa's Lust List on Instagram. You might know her. She's an influencer. She did it and she was able to afford it and she took Facebook to the high court and she got people's names on masks because they were doxing her. So they were like following her around, yeah. saying where she was going. But I said it to the Minister of Justice only a couple of months ago. I was like, we need to get that from the high court down because if it was in the circuit court, for example, we could all take someone to court much easier. It's not as expensive. And she did it. She took it down. So that's phase one. There's yeah. a lot of phases with it. But to me any sort of harassment should be covered by law and that is harassment and it's hard because you think harassment is going up to someone and screaming in their face but harassment is making up lies about people to literally again distort the truth to degrade their character and that's what my trigger is you see like if anyone questions my integrity it brings me back to that time of what happened it brings me back to being in school and being bullied it's like it's not true it's not me like I'm a good person and like we have a constitutional right to our good name and it's not being protected anymore because of the digital age so like there's so much that needs to be done it's it's crazy it needs to go to an EU level I would say but that's like my next focus and definitely the law degrees made me like hungrier for it and like while I was doing it I was still running the business and everything and everyone was like you're mad and when I was leaving I was like if I don't get a first class honours like I really killed myself and I got my first class honours a couple of weeks ago absolutely delighted but that makes it so much easier for me to walk into the doll on one day yeah. and be like hey this is what needs to be done mm -hmm. so it's not just so Ali from Goss it's like Ali who has a first class honours degree in law who's the, like the face of this campaign da, da, da. it's kind of all a bit of a plan to be taken yeah. more seriously and to an act change so it's kind of long horrible sad nightmarish road to this place where like I can make a difference and that's my takeaway from it now so many bad things happen but hopefully it's because I'm going to be able to prevent bad things happening to other people yeah so you're qualified from an educational point of view and from the lived experience point of view yeah. anyway, so and you need yep. both sometimes yeah. well for your legislative change I think you kind of need both oh definitely yeah I'd say I know more than some of the politicians in there because yeah. I've studied it and I actually understand and it's scary like I went into the department and I told them about that forum and no one and there was a lot of people in that room no one had ever heard about it and this is why younger people need to be advocates because they don't understand what's going on like mm. I know people who've ended up in hospital over that forum and stuff so there's a lot of things that have to be brought to light and it annoys me a bit because sometimes I'm like there's a lot of influencers that could probably stand up 
and also go into the doll and be like, this is happening. But everyone's really scared of trolls and they're scared of like their story coming out, I think. But like, I'm past that now. Do you know, like I've told the biggest story ever. Like I said, it's literally pinched my Instagram. So like if I ever, if I've been on a new date or anything now, I'm just like, I don't even have to tell this guy. He can just Google me. It's there. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's up there. So like, I don't really worry anymore. I'm like, someone has to get up there on those steps and make a statement and make a difference and I just think that's part of my role now I just think I'm going to have to be an advocate for a few things especially with online stuff and like it's working like I am getting changes made in there it's just a bit like you have to keep doing it all the time but given my personality that I'm like can't stop it suits me <laughs> Right well Ali you're out there finding a good voice I was going to see you uh, channeling it in a, in a positive way Mm. You wrap this one up, Harry. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Ali. Ali, Let's... thanks for sharing all that. Couldn't I know it can't be easy. I know you've done it before, but it definitely can't be easy. So mm. yeah, wrap yeah. this one up. Yeah, right. Take us out, Shimon. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. The hip knocker. Come